Hey, City Rev family, welcome to the City Rev Live podcast. If you found yourself here, we want to say welcome. Each week on this podcast, we feature content and conversations that help strengthen your relationship with God and others and equip you to make a difference right where you are. For this summer, we're doing a bit of a throwback series in which we're featuring conversations from previous podcast episodes. Now, we've condensed them a bit to give you just the very best from each of these episodes. We hope this conversation you're going to hear today encourages you in your personal growth and your unique faith journey. And hey, if this conversation is something you enjoy, let us know. We would love to hear from you. Send us a DM on our social media platforms. We'd love your feedback and to hear how this has helped shape this season for you. Enjoy this episode and we'll talk soon, fam. You know, fear is, it's not a fun topic. It's not. It's not something that we uh, typically enjoy doing uh, or enjoy talking about. It's not the answer we give people on a Sunday morning where we say, hey, how you doing? You know, I'm kind of fearful. Yeah, yeah, full of fear and terror. How about you? We don't usually do that. <laughs> yeah, we, we give our best best answer. You know, we're doing okay. You know, uh, I think maybe in this season, people are more interested or able to uh, say, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm nervous. I'm worried. Um, I don't know that we are, are um, still eager to say I'm afraid right now. Uh, it's just not one of those really pleasant emotions that we, we like to talk about. So. Yeah, and, and I think that they're at the same time, this is one of those seasons that we have heightened fears. You know, mm -hmm. we're afraid, um, obviously, health concerns. You know, yeah. we're afraid, you know, what if I get sick? What if someone I love gets sick? Um, what if one of my children gets sick? Um, you know, we're afraid about, well, I have all the resources that I need. Can I get the things I want at the right. grocery store? Um, there's economic fears. What's going to happen to the economy? Or maybe someone's got lost their job or their right. job's been furloughed. You know, how, how am I going to survive? There's a lot of things right or, now. Or the fear of the unknown. We just don't know a lot right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Just the fear of the unknown. And yeah. so there's a lot of reasons that, um, that we can, that we can be afraid. And so this is a, an important subject right now. And at the same time, I think one of the most most uh, damaging parts of this season is if fear and panic were to set in. And so this is an important thing yeah. to talk about. And um, you were telling me how discussing fear actually, even though it's unpleasant, yeah. you know, it's actually important. Yeah. Well, and in, especially in the context of isolation, because isolation can be an accelerator to fear. We talked about, you know, that panic and we are, um, certainly don't want to create a culture of fear and the isolation can really breed that even more so. So um, <clears throat> ways that we can use fear to our advantage, um, both looking at it from just a cerebral standpoint and a research-based standpoint, but also just as um, a Christian and through uh, the worldview of our faith is an important way to kind of commingle the two resources to really get a handle on our fears, identify them and actually turn them and work them for our advantage and ultimately God working them for our good. Help us understand fear. How does fear work? How does it operate right. within inside so of us? So we are all born with instincts or reflexes. You know, when, when babies are born, they have these reflexes that we don't have to teach them. We don't have to teach them how to, um, you know, suck or, or have, um, uh, a connection or a bond with their with their birth mother that's just something wired into their genetic makeup and similar to fear there's a part of our brain that it's like a reflex and um, I think God hardwired that into us uh, for numerous reasons um, some for good reasons and so there's a part of our brain called the amygdala which is not something we uh, 
often talk about. We don't say, hey, how's your amygdala doing today? <laughs> Mine's at about a five um, out of a scale, I'd say. I'm a five on a This is a little scale. window into our dark humor. Yeah. Um, so we, but maybe something that's a little more uh, common or representative in our culture that we say. And the amygdala is in the brain, right? It is We're in the brain. Okay. It's kind of in the middle part of your brain. The little... <laughs> I didn't, I was like, am I missing it? I don't, I don't see it on my body anywhere. So. Oh, goodness. No. Um, and so we, we tend to phrase that in our culture as uh, fight, flight, or freeze. So uh, what is your response to fear? Is it you're fighting or do you tend to flight and escape or do you tend to freeze? And so that is um, stored into that in that part of our brain. And um, it, it develops over time, of course. But um, when that happens and we fear feel fearful, um, regardless of your response, and they don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can experience all three um, in the same episode, or you can have a predominant one, um, more fight as opposed to flight or vice versa. And so they are typically the untrained responses to fear. It's like a reflex that we have. And so when our fear response is triggered, and those are the three responses. What happens biologically in our bodies is our neurotransmitters are released and our stress hormones spike. And I think we can all say what that feels like. It's not a very pleasant feeling. It's a very like tingly, um, very high alert feeling. And so it tends to manifest our, it, itself physiologically with maybe our muscles getting tense or our pupils getting dilated, uh, uh, heart palpitations, um, a lot of the things that people don't tend to associate with feelings of relaxation or being pleasant. How along the same spectrum of these fears is anxiety. And as anxiety is really a pervasive form of fear. And um, I think it's a little bit trickier and more subtle because a lot of times we don't see the triggers of fear. You know, when you've just been in a car or uh, avoided maybe a car accident or, you know, a um, you know, or biking and just, you know, avoided a pothole or something, you can quickly identify, whoa, that was scary. I almost fell or I almost got hurt. Um, but sometimes with anxiety, we don't really see or feel or know the triggers when they're coming and they get, begin to stockpile up on us. And then it isn't until maybe in our quiet moments or in our restful moments, maybe more vulnerable in our sleep, that some of that starts to come to the surface. And then, mm. whoa, that should get our attention. There's something wrong here. Um, I've stayed busy all day and that's been just a distraction, but that's not a way to turn off our fear or our anxiety um, access that's been activated. So, um, you know, I know for me personally, I wasn't necessarily taking on the fears um, of the coronavirus uh, at the beginning. I was trying to keep it sober-minded, but then I noticed when I did little things like grocery shopping, doing my normal routine stuff and seeing empty shelves and seeing things mm. bare. And as a mother and as a female, just wanting to nest and keep her home uh, a place of safety, um, that began to trigger anxiety for me. And I, I was able to identify that, which helped give, give me some understanding, maybe not necessarily entire control, but some control of, okay, this is where it's coming from, but I don't have to stay there. And so I was able for me to take inventory. Okay, here's what's triggering that. Here's why, but here's how, here's how I'm going to turn it off, which we'll talk a little bit more. But anxiety is also on that spectrum. And it, I think it is seductive because we don't always know until maybe it's stockpiled against us. And then it feels larger 
larger than it is. Yeah. So I think what's so helpful, what you're saying is, you know, it's like, it's one thing if I'm driving and I have like a near miss with an accident, I'm like, Oh my goodness, that, right. that scared me. I'm like, oh, you know, I just need a minute, you know, cause it was like so close. Right. But with anxiety, it's invisible. And so it takes some introspection. It takes some moments where I'm authentic and honest with myself. Yeah. And it makes, it takes me needing to kind of stop and think, what, what am I afraid of and kind of take inventory, which I think for a lot of us, we're afraid to do that, but it's important. I think especially um, a lot of times men, we, we mm -hmm. don't want to admit fear. Mm -hmm. And so when we're feeling anxiety, we want to always project and really probably above anyone else prove to ourselves that we're, we've got it, we're handling yeah. it. But anxiety, um, we've got to stop and be honest and use those triggers because we can't turn the fears around into... Uh, triggering something good like we can't make those that we can't harness those fears for good if we're not stopping and and being real yeah. when we're seeing those those triggers that's a good point it's just taking inventory of it and that actually informing you to then take the next steps yeah so um there's you know there's two sides of the coin to fear there's a protective side there's a god-given the way that he fearfully wonderfully made us he gave us that instinct to cue us when we need to find a uh, place of safety. You know, for our kids, we, we want that to be developed so that when they're on the playground and they're approaching something that's far beyond their age level, we want them to be able to know, to turn back around that that's not safe. And um, we count on that too when we're in a place that we um, maybe weren't safe or aren't safe and we need to be able to take that cue as a way to get protected and to feel safe. So that is then an important side of the coin that we de definitely don't want to turn off. Otherwise, we'd be walking into situations <laughs> regularly that um, would not be for our good. Yeah, I think about um, you know the uh, leprosy. You mm. know, leprosy. The the problem with leprosy is it actually just numbs the nerves, so yeah. you're not realizing that you're hurting and causing trauma to right. your you know your your body, yes. and so you're wounding your body because without you're, even knowing it. Yes, and so. Mm. And a lot of times ignoring fear as an emotion Correct. is not necessarily a positive. It's almost like emotional leprosy yeah. because I'm not getting that cue. Like if, I, if I'm going to touch something hot and I feel the burn, that is, it's uncomfortable, but it's cueing me to pull my hand away. And fear is the emotional equivalent of that. I'm entering something dangerous and it needs to be addressed. And so um, acknowledging the fear right. is the positive side. Is that, Correct. Got it? Absolutely. That's a great point about just emotional leprosy. Being able to identify your emotions, believe it or not, is one tool you can use to combat that. Um, and then triggering. What is triggering that fear is another tool that you can use. It seems simple. It seems silly, but it's very therapeutic and being able to identify the emotions and the triggers behind what you're feeling. Um, but the negative side is, you know, we weren't meant to stay in a um, place of fear. Uh, we're, we're meant to turn that off. You know, once that need is met, that, that um, activated state of arousal and, and stress is meant to be turned off. And so um, I think about it in terms of like a boiling pot. If you've, maybe the ladies can identify with this a little bit more, but if you've ever put a boiling pot on the stove and maybe walked away, cause you know, it's gonna take about seven or eight minutes to get that boiling and maybe got distracted or did something else and you forget, you know, forget to put the pasta in or whatever it is that you're cooking. And then all of a sudden, you hear something that doesn't sound good or you even smell something. And what tends to happen if you leave a boiling pot on the stove for too long is the water 
evaporates essentially it comes out i don't know if you've ever experienced that if, if i leave ever... most of the cooking to you for <laughs> I, I, for the safety of our family okay well if it's happened to me and um if you leave it on the burner even too long what ends up happening is you get ring marks on the bottom of your pot and if you leave it on really long it can even seep through and get in the middle of your pot and so what happens you take that pot off and you're like oh man you know is it still usable? Probably, if it hasn't been burned through. But is it pleasant to look at? Is it just a constant reminder of you had a moment where you <laughs> just completely forgot about it? Yeah, you know, so it's it's kind of like leaving that switch on. It's like leaving a boiling pot on the stove for too long. It leaves an imprint. It leaves a burn mark imprint. And so when we leave our brains activated with the stress high, with the uh, neurotransmitters and our hormones, um, elevated at that state for too long, there are consequences. And so we end up needing to cope and cope quickly. And so a lot of times we go to the quick, what we think mm. are, it's, it's deceptive. We think the quick turnoffs for that switch. And so what it comes, it may manifest as an addiction, may manifest as a website, it may manifest as um, a, a, a rage or a temper. Um, a lot of these um, coping skills that seem quick and easy and offer relief, but it's really a masked relief because it's not turning off the switch like we need to. And so over time, if that gets rehearsed and re repeated over and over, over and over again, you kind of create like a six lane highway in your brain where you're trying to channel your stress and offload it through some of these unhealthy coping skills. And then that becomes the automatic way that we cope when triggered, as opposed to some of the healthier ways that I think we all ultimately want. So let me just, <laughs> let's see if I, if I can recap that you're saying, um, Fear is meant to be the, for a protective side. It's reminding me something's not right and needs to be addressed. Something's not safe or not healthy and, and needs to be addressed. And then the, the downside is if we don't address that um, because it physically manifests in us, whether we're ignoring it, oh, I'm not afraid, I'm fine, I'm not stressed, I can handle it, or we're not stopping to admit what we're feeling, then that ongoing tension yeah. is, is causing damage to, to us. And then often at that point, we're not choosing the wise, healthiest uh, ways to deal with to it. Right. We're choosing the, you know, oh, I'm just so stressed. I'm going to Netflix binge right. or I'm going to, you know, eat another pint of ice cream, you know, or whatever <laughs> right. it may be. Or uh, honestly, those things could potentially could be neutral, but there's actually some things that are just straight up harmful, harmful, yeah. whether it's pornography yeah. or substance abuse or whatever it may right. be or, or a, an, an affair or you know, an inappropriate connection on social media or whatever it may be, there are some things that are just straight up painful. And so part of the importance of addressing fear is that we can then intentionally pick wise ways to cope. That's, that's so true. And it's deceptive because in the moment it may offer you that off ramp. And so it feels like you're turning off uh, the fear factor that's been activated, um, but it's just dulling it for uh, a short season. And so it, in, what's happening in our brains, and this, this is going to sound a little bit um, therapeutically nerdy for a second, but just <laughs> hang with me because it, it's a good valid point that I think will guide and inform us to how we can use fear to our advantage, is it's like 
that boiling pot, it's similar to our nerve endings. You know, our nerves in our brain and all throughout our body are, are meant to send messages. And when our fears are activated for so long, it's like the ends of our neurons get fried and then they don't work properly. They don't communicate like they're supposed to. They don't um, function well. And so that's when we get into trouble because we're wanting our neurons to send a message, ah, turn this off, turn this off, turn this off. And we're reinforcing the unhealthy way of turning it off, which is not actually turning it off at all. So we're trying to create different pathways or heal the nerve endings that have been fried by these stress hormones being elevated for so long. We've got to, one, repair them, repair the damage that's been done, and two, create brand new pathways. But what's so encouraging is a lot of neuroscience um, research that's been done has shown that you can create new pathways in your brain. You can change your brain. You can shut down that six lane highway and create a brand new highway for how to cope and turn off your fears. Um, but it does take a lot of strategy and time, a lot of effort. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's not easy and it's quick, but it is possible. And I think that that's what gives us hope is that you don't, you're not stuck. You don't have to stay stuck, but you do have to retrain your brain on how to think differently and cope differently. Okay. So you're saying we're getting in the, we can get in bad cycles of, uh, going to the wrong things to deal with either, um, fears that we're ignoring or fears that we don't know how to address right. that we get in these ruts where we keep going back to the wrong ways to cope, mm -hmm. but we can retrain our brains to be going to healthy things right. to help really untangle those fears. Right. And for some of us, cause this, this is a new situation where maybe your, maybe your issue isn't, Oh, I've got this bad, you know, or destructive a coping skill that I'm trying not to do now. It, maybe it's just, well, I don't know what to do now. This is a new territory for me. And so um, take hope that you are able to create a brand new way of coping. And that's going to give you a sense of um, just empowerment to know that you're not a slave to your fears. You can actually use them to work to your advantage. So, so maybe talk mm -hmm. us through what are some of those practices then? What are some of those ways yep. that we can, that we can, that's healthy for us to deal with, with fears? Right. So research has a lot out there, um, that's therapeutically indicated that we can do. And I think it's important to start with just validation and empathy and just knowing if you're feeling fearful or you're seeing signs of anxiety, you're not sleeping well, or you can't concentrate well, or you find yourself worrying more, or in the middle of your day, you're kind of checking out a little bit more than you used to, just having difficulty concentrating. Um, you know, that doesn't mean you're weathering this badly or poorly or that you're wrong. Or even as a Christian, we can internalize that and saying, I'm a bad Christian because I'm struggling with mm. sadness or depression, or I'm struggling with anger or grief or fear. You know, it says in the Bible, do not fear, you know, but I'm fearful. So what does that mean? Am I not walking with the Lord close enough? Am I not secure in my identity in Christ? I, I guess I could always do that better. I guess I could always pray more. I, there's always room to read my Bible more. And so I think we put on these religious activities for ourselves to try and gain control and to try and make sense of if I'm a Christian, then why do I still feel afraid? And so I think, you know, something that we talked about in an earlier podcast is the role of shame. And shame is going to try and um, paralyze you, make you feel like you're doing all of this wrong or poorly. And, um, you know, best practices show 
instead of that, that's going to paralyze and cripple us. Um, find validation, find empathy. You know, there's, there's others that are feeling this way. You're not alone. And that doesn't make you bad or wrong for having those feelings. Yeah. I think that, um, I know that from a pastoral perspective, I know that you've seen that from as a counselor perspective, I'm sure. But as a, as a pastor, I know that uh, a lot of times I'll meet with a Christian and, um, you're exactly right. They're feeling guilt, shame, or defeat because they're feeling fear, anxiety, or whatever. And they're, they're, they're feeling like, because I'm stressed, because I'm afraid, because I'm doubting, that is making me a, I must not be as strong of a Christian as I thought I was. Right. And what I try so often to reinforce is the fact that you are safely admitting it and you feel the grace and you're exercising, accessing community mm -hmm. to actually address the fact that you are, and being honest with yourself, that's not a marker of your spiritual immaturity. That is a marker of your spiritual maturity. And it's the person that's saying, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can handle it. That's self-sufficiency. That's mm -hmm. pride. That's mm -hmm. inauthenticity. That is self-righteousness. Those are not markers of of a of of a mature seasoned Christian. It's a Christian that knows their desperate need for God, know their desperate need for each other, knows that are humbled before the Lord, knowing their shortcomings, that can say, I'm afraid right now. Yeah. I'm doubting right now. I'm having my moments and yeah. can be honest appropriately so in 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 a community. And so that that validation and empathy yeah. Uh, I think a lot of times we let a false sense of spiritual maturity get yeah. in the way of that validation and yes. empathy. It's amazing how even um, we can use our our spiritual uh, maturity or our walk to even uh, hinder us from the authentic uh, process of working our faith out. So step one, best practices. Yep. Admit to myself about my fears and my stresses. Admit within community to another godly, uh, if I'm a guy, to a, a, a brother in Christ, if as a lady, to a sister in Christ, admit to my spouse, talk through those things um, and, and be honest about those things. That's step one. And then receiving back validation and empathy. The last thing that we need then as a Christian is a lecture on faith in God. Mm. What I need is validation and empathy and, mm. and probably vulnerability. Hey, yeah. man, I get it. I'm afraid too. I, this was, this was when I got, this was my bad moment. Yeah. And that kind of empathy and validation yeah. is so powerful. Yes. Instead of running to that, a pint of ice cream, stopping, picking up the phone, calling someone, talking through, or having a sit down with my spouse and talking through it. Right. So that, that is that the, that combination of what you just described is so incredibly powerful. Um, but there's other things we can do. You know, you can, um, obviously get your basic needs met at the foundation for any other, um, needs that we have really cannot be built without having our psychological need for safety, safety met our food, our shelter, um, a sense of belonging and love and connectedness. I mean, that is the foundation uh, before we can, uh, reach potential in our gifts and our abilities. So um, recognize that, get to a place of safety, and then identify your triggers. What's triggering you, making you feel unsafe, even if you are not unsafe physically? Um, identifying those, that's important. Also, connection. You know, we've talked about a little bit about brain chemistry and our neurons, and if they're fried too much because we've been in a state of fear for too long, how do we heal those nerve endings and create those connections again um, so that 
the pathways in our brains can can work quicker and more effectively the ways that we want to. And so um, connecting with other people, ironically, is an accelerator to that process. And I think that's one of the tricky things about being in isolation right now is we are asked to not connect with people and to create that distance and so we have to fight a lot harder you know to go on a walk six feet apart from a neighbor or to create that zoom call after the kids go down i know for me once the kids are down to to create a zoom call it's not that i don't want to it's just i'm tired you know i've been homeschooling i've been with the kids i've been on and so if you can take some time with your spouse and say hey can you take an hour here so i can go do this so that by the time the kids go down I'm not so fried. I actually have something in the tank to give to a Zoom call and to a friend. Um, I really need that. And being able to speak up for your needs and to be able to find ways with your roommates or your family, whoever you are able to have contact with, to take shifts for each other. Um, so the connection is so important, human connection. It acts as an accelerator to creating those pathways that we ultimately want and need and healing that too. Um, Another one is just strengthening our coping skills or, or what the therapeutic world calls our regulators. It's just, what do you do to self-regulate? How do you disarm that fear um, factor being, uh, being uh, activated? Uh, especially if you're by yourself or you're not really in a context where you can just drop everything and go do a six-foot, <laughs> six-step plan on, on um getting a place of safety. So um, there's a there's so many out there. I'm just going to hit a couple. One is exercise. The uh, physical and emotional benefits of exercise are well-researched and really do a lot for your brain in helping heal it, helping create pathways, helping to cope well. That is so important. Uh, another one is hydrating. Hydrating water, um, healthy food, protein is very therapeutic in helping your body be able to get what it needs to heal itself. And so staying hydrated, keeping a bottle of water on your desk, that is going to a regular part of keeping that in your rhythm to keeping yourself in a healthy place and hopefully turning off um, your fear. Um, another one is safe and healthy touch. Uh, that is another one that we're seeing is going to really be affected by uh, the distancing because we're not touching people <laughs> um, purposely and, and we understand why. And so but it goes against what research says that healthy and safe touch can be very therapeutic. And they have well research about you know infants and children that they need a lot of healthy touch to develop properly, getting that tactile uh, sensation and pressure. And I think there's something, I, I don't know for sure, but there's something in research that says with adults, we need something like seven hugs a day for uh, maintenance, 11 hugs a day for healing. And I, I don't know for sure, but I've heard that uh, kicked around in, in the community and um, I don't know if that number is true, but I know that the basic principle behind it is very true. So don't you forget that, Rebecca. <laughs> Especially, I'm all you got right now. Right now, because we're socially distancing from other people. Yeah. So our children. Yes. I guess you got them too. Okay, that's fair. Um, all right. So just the list is uh, validation and empathy, and you know, connecting is so is so key. And yeah. we've talked about a lot. Um, really, when they say social distancing, we're talking about physical distancing. Let's find ways to stay socially connected get in a small group right now at your church, yeah. you know, and you can still sign up for one on the city rev app, get in one. They're, they're the use small groups that are doing zoom calls. I love that. I would love to be on the other end of this, having more small groups and more people connected to small groups because we need that right now yeah. and giving each other respecting that we need to make space for each other to be connecting. And then just some of those practical things, exercise, um, 
hydration, eating healthy, you know, those types of things, we so often toss those out when we're stressed and we actually need those more. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm, I'm stressed right now, so I'm going to stress eat. Well, you p pretty much typically don't stress eat like lean chicken and broccoli. I mean, you stress eat like a bag of Doritos or whatever and getting those things, your body is all, that's all tight in. Those are things are not, yeah. those are not the most, uh, most healthy things. Yeah. So, okay. Any other things as far as just best practices when it comes to, you know, getting, being aware of fear. We've talked about being aware of fear. We've talked about acknowledging it so that then we can find not the bad ways of coping, but be intentional with the good ways of coping. We've listed several of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, any of those other good best practices we should keep in mind? Yeah. Um, well, one last one is too, is just if you're finding that this is harder than you expected in a season, there might be a, a season for reaching out for counseling. And there's a lot that are doing that virtually. And so I, would, I wouldn't want to minimize that. And again, that doesn't mean that you're not handling this well. It's yeah. just you're arming yourself with another tool in your tool belt to be able to combat um, the negative effects of isolation and fear. Um, and so another thing that gives us hope, and I will kind of um, just land on this last best, best practice for um, combating fears is the role of repetition and play and how that creates new pathways. So the best way for me to explain this is, you know, as a parent, if you are disciplining a child, um, there's several interventions that you can use from a discipline standpoint that you might employ when wanting to change a behavior of your child, which I can't imagine any parent not coming into contact with that particular dilemma. And so what are the typical go-to um, strategies that we might use? You might use lecture, you might use timeouts, loss of privileges, um, you, sticker charts or positive reinforcement, you know, different ways to uh, change that behavior, modify it. And so if, for example, you're working with, you know, your child and really any age, but we'll just stick with the four to six range for now. But if you've got a, a behavior that needs to change, um, maybe you would use lecturing. Typically, with most children, but especially you're going to see the effects of this with a four to six-year-old, lecture is just going to go over their head. I mean, they're just, it's just not really going to be the most effective use. Some kids can. It's not that all kids can't, but um, it maybe isn't the most effective. So we're talking about kids, and I can think about, you know, maybe teaching a child a memory verse. Mm -hmm. If you're giving them hand motions and it's fun, they're laughing, they're yeah. laughing that's going to go so much, so much quicker, but, but bring that to us as adults. So we're dealing with fears. We're trying to square up to them. How do we, how do we take, cause I think we can see that with kids. How would we apply that to dealing with our fears in this present circumstance? How do we apply repetitions, um, play and that kind of right. thing to create those new patterns? So if you only need, let's just say it would take only eight to 10 reps to start creating a new neural pathway. And you're wanting to shut down that six lane pathway of, um, you know, ineffective coping. And you're wanting to create, okay, now in my present circumstances, I shouldn't go to that or I can't go to that because of our limitations um, with the quarantine. So what do I do now? Well, creating new, new avenues through repetition, through play. So find a funny meme, find, reach out to a, a group of people that you've got maybe on a text chain and um, bring out something that made you laugh earlier. Um, call a friend, get a little break in your day if you can. 
can. So I think it's so easy to see that with kids. Uh, you know, you, you see that like if we're going to teach kids a memory verse, for example, yeah. you do hand motions and you'd hopefully, you know, with each different line and you hopefully make them laugh. But I like thinking about that for us as adults, yeah. you know. In, in times of fear, what is is going to be helpful for us is basically re remember to play. Remember, like this, these are moments where laughter is yes. so healthy. Yeah. This is these are our moments when you know getting out and exercising, and you know still finding ways to do the healthy activities that we that we need. Getting on WhatsApp chats and you know sell, talking about something that's funny in the midst of all of this, or sharing memes that are funny. Those that laughter is yeah. is so healthy. In, in these kind of moments. Is that yeah. kind of the right track? Yeah, I, absolutely. And I, it's, it's important to take captive of those moments when you're feeling fearful or anxious or stressed and you're like, ah, but I can't do what I normally used to do. Um, what do I do instead? Um, or even if it's a healthy way of coping and I can't do that right now, I can't go to my gym, I can't do this and that. So then use that as a cue of, okay, I can't do that, but I can do this. I can reach out to a friend. I can exercise. I can find a funny meme, find a way to laugh. Um, use that to cue you into using a new coping skill or a new regulator and creating that, those new connections. And that's how you can use your fears then to um, work to your advantage. So as we're wrapping up this discussion, maybe just take us to a, a passage in scripture that you would see that uh, you think gives us helpful perspective on fear. Yeah. So in Second Kings, um, there's a really beautiful passage where Elisha and his servant are um, are kind of in their place. I don't know if you want to read it for us, yeah. Toby, but they're basically there and uh, the servant goes outside and describe what yeah, so 2 Kings um, 6, this is 16 and 17, 2 Kings 6, 16 and 17, he said, I'll just read verse 16 for starters, he said, uh, so the servant comes in, he's afraid because there's armies and hor enemy armies and horses all around. Right. And that are that are from um, another, another country there to attack Israel. And he comes in and the servant says to Elisha, uh, or he says, like, look at all, look at all these, these soldiers. What should we do? And verse 16, Elisha responds. He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Mm, yeah. So it, it sets up this beautiful picture of, okay, it's, it's us two against this army of, of just opposition and I, I appreciate the servant's response. Uh, what should we do? <laughs> and um, Elisha's confidence in that those are with us are more than with them. You know, he Elisha just so gets this concept that if God can be for us, who can be against us? And um, it, it, a lot of times, our, our there's a weapon that is meant to be used in our times of fear. And Ephesians six talks about a lot of weapons. And I think one of the underutilized weapons that we um, need to learn how to craft better in these seasons of fear, these moments of anxiety is faith. And it's a beautiful faith story. And um, the next verse, I think, yeah. illustrates that so well. Yeah, so verse 17, this is just one of the most powerful moments, I think, in the Old Testament. Verse 17 says, Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so 
it's such a beautiful thing. Elisha just says a simple prayer. Basically, he says, help him see as, as you see. Help him to see as you see. And when his spiritual eyes are opened, he sees the armies of the living God just encamped around them and completely intimidate what's outside their front door at that point. And I think for those of us that can't see the invisible army that's raging down from heaven right now waiting to um, take up our cause, the distance between what we know to be true and what is true oftentimes is faith. Mm. And um, we... We need to exercise that faith um, muscle to uh, to shorten the length, the shorten the distance between our circumstances and what we know to be true in Scripture. And a lot of times we have people in our life that are like, man, they they just like handle that trial so well or they're weathering it. Not that they're not scared, but you know, do we have we have people in our lives like that where we just admire the strength? And a lot of times it's the first public one that maybe we're seeing, but it's, they didn't get there overnight. It's because they took, they held captive all of the little battles along the way of exercising faith. They chose to believe um, when they couldn't see. They chose to believe that the armies of the living God were with them and for them and not against them when opposition in the, the flesh faced them. And um, I think that's, that's such a good point to recognize okay, the distance between what we know to be true and what we can see right now is faith. Mm -hmm. And and there is, you were mentioning about how that also, when we were discussing this earlier, how that ends up playing out when there's the storm on the Sea of Galilee and -hmm. the disciples are freaking out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. It's interesting because very similar situation um, where there's again, opposition. Uh, There's the disciples are on a, on a boat with Jesus and they wake him up and Jesus first response to them is, why are you so afraid? Still have you no faith and how Jesus ties um, their fears with, with the use of faith. And again, not to rebuke them in a way that punishes them or adds shame, but just to cue them. Hey, use your faith tool right now. You've got weapons. Use them. Let's like let's dust them off and hone them, shape them, and use them to fiercely protect us and fight back. And um, what's so interesting, what happens with the disciples after that, which is very similar, I feel like, with the Elisha passage is... When Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are then filled with fear and awe of Jesus. And so like the servant with Elisha and like the disciples with Jesus, um, they are filled with fear um, of Jesus, which trumps their fear of their circumstances. I heard a pastor once say it like this, like their, um, their latter fear overcame their their former fear. And so whatever earthly fear that we're dealing with, when brought next to Jesus, it recoils and it loses its power and it loses its gravity because of, of our fear and all of the Lord. And what does it take to activate our fear in the Lord? Well, much like it takes a lot of these interventions to turn off our fear factor physiologically that we just talked about, well, what it takes to turn on our fear of the Lord a lot of times is faith. You know, I think often we talk about when, when we're in seasons of fear, we're asking um, when, what, how, why, why is this happening to me? How am I going to get out of this? Uh, when is this all going to be over? What am I going to do? Yeah. But the number one answer is who? It's mm-hmm. who is in control. Yeah. 
And so, um, man, there's a lot of stuff we've been able to cover in this episode. Thank you for sharing all of this, you know, working through uh, good using, acknowledging fear, using fear, having good practices for fear, understanding scripturally where to go with fear. Um, Any last thoughts as we're concluding this episode? Yeah, just let um, fear work to your advantage. Let uh, fears and anxiety, when it creeps up on you, as opposed to being so um, distraught that, oh, there it is again, turn it and use it for your advantage and say, okay, this is a time, it's inconvenient right now. I need to find a quick way to turn off um, my fear and anxiety that's been activated. It may not work perfectly or or instantly every time, but if we have that eight to 10 reps a day, then you're going to start to notice an impact on how much easier and the effectiveness of those coping skills that you can do right now. So let that cue you to start implementing some of those new strategies. Also exercise your faith muscle or, you know, like a muscle, work it out like a muscle, use it as a tool and as a weapon. Um, When things feel or are presented to be discouraging or fearful or anxiety producing, let your faith trump that fear and your faith in what we know to be true of the Lord and um, let that overwhelm your present circumstances. You know, so many of the the helpful coping mechanisms have to do with reaching out, being honest in community, being honest with fear, enjoying those, those interactions, laughing together. And so if we're not active with that, we stay in isolation. We will let fear continue to build in our lives. So, hey, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the City Rev Life podcast. We will hope that you join us for the next episode. Thank you for joining us on City Rev Life. You can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review wherever you're listening to this. And we love it when you share it with your friends on social media. For more videos and content, go ahead and check us out at cityrev.org podcast or download our City Rev Church app. Have a great day.